Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 9. Hear God's word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is in love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy, they have have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm very glad to be with you all today. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about approval. Approval is one of those topics that, of course, are of interest to religious people. Does God approve of me? (laughs) How can I know if he does or how can I get God's approval? That's sort of natural thinking. Uh, And because of that, actually, some people don't want to think about religion because it's a terrifying question. What if God doesn't approve of me? What are the implications of that? And and yet there's no getting around uh, approval in in our lives. And so maybe we don't want to think religiously whether or not there's a God, uh, but we still are subject to desiring the approval of people. And even for religious people where we may say, well, maybe I have a certain measure of confidence God approves of me for whatever reason I do. 
but I still find myself controlled by the desire to approve others, my peers, my parents, myself, whatever it is. And, and the, the subject of approval is, is somewhat um, complex in that there, there's an interplay, not simply of our desire to be approved, but, but of the very things that we ourselves approve of and what we, what we evaluate and believe is important and how that fits into things. And so the book of Ecclesiastes that we're looking at seeks to make us wise. And if we want to live well, uh, eventually we need to, to sort out some of these things. And so I, I want to walk us through a couple of things today that I think could help grow us in wisdom, but also grow us in faith. And so where I'm going to begin is talking about what we approve of. That's the first thing I'm going to talk about, what we approve of. Like I said, there's an interplay in terms of, uh, of how we perceive whether or not we're approved of or how the whole system works. Um, but, but one component of that is what we approve of, and we're not always sure why we approve of certain things. So human beings have desires, for example, uh, but our desires are not always reliable. But when we want things, then we, we tend to automatically uh, of, uh, we value those things and they have our approval, so we pursue them. But another reason that we approve of things is simply because others approve of them. We're remarkably unoriginal. Why do we want the things we want? Well, often because others want them. And so uh, others approve of them and we approve of them, and therefore we're, we're caught up in this whole system and cycle, but, but we often get things wrong, and the Bible warns us about that, shows us many, many situations where we get that wrong. So for example, last week, a verse that was in the reading, I didn't talk much about it, but in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, verse 10, the writer of Ecclesiastes, or, or the person we're, who's teaching us, we call him Koheleth, that's the Hebrew word, it's not his name, but that's what he's referred to in the book. Koheleth says, then I saw the wicked buried, they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. He's saying, here's people who did not live upright, honorable lives, and yet they had the approval of people. And our concept of justice, though, is eventually this closure. At some point, you find out, and here he's troubled. He's saying, but I saw their burial. <laughs> they were honored. Um, so even then, they, they, re they received an honor as if they lived honorably, and that's troubling to him. There's something wrong with how we evaluate things, that people can do that and get away with it. That troubles us. Uh, we approve of the wrong things. And so picking up in our passage, he gives an example of wisdom at the end, of something where he says, well, this was great to me. He here's an example of, of why wisdom is good and why wisdom works. Uh, but the interesting thing in fitting in with the tone of the book of Ecclesiastes is he sees it, but he also sees the tragedy in it. It was there. Wisdom happened. Uh, a wise person did something wise, but, but was not recognized for it. And so the last, the last section of the reading in verses 14 and 15, he shares this story. There was a little city with few men in it. So they're small. They're not significant. They're not powerful. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So this king is great. Now he would have had greatness in terms of uh, his title. So he would have had birthright or somehow he became king. So he had this institutional position. He probably would have had great wealth because many, many ancient cultures or not just ancient, but throughout the ages 
had to hire an army. <laughs> so he had uh, wealth. He now, because of his army, had physical power. So he builds these siege works in order to come in and destroy the city, the inevitable, big, powerful army coming against them. But verse 15 says, but there was found in this small city <laughs> a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. What a great story, the power of wisdom, that, that here's somebody that has all of these forms of power, of wealth, title, institution, army, um, all of these things. And yet here's somebody who had very little, but he had wisdom. And in this competition, wisdom won. Somehow, uh, we don't know what he did, but he was able to diffuse this and, and save the city. But here's the end of verse 15. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And that's the problem of society, that at that moment they would have approved of him because they saved him. And, and yet the value he had in their desperation, in that desperate moment, thank goodness this guy fixed this problem. Then the problem goes away, life goes on, and we, we no longer admire him in his poverty or because of our identity as an insignificant city. And so we go back to our typical aspirations. And this great thing happened. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, I've seen a great example of wisdom and yet he's not remembered. And that contrast to the person in verse eight who lives this evil life, but at his burial, he's eulogized. They remember him, but it's a false memory. There's, there's this mixing up of approval. And so uh, verse 16, wisdom is better than might. Uh, here he's saying that, that human beings don't seek after wisdom. That's part of the biblical wisdom tradition, the various wisdom books, seek wisdom. And yet, what do we seek after? We seek other forms of power. We want people to respect us. They want, we want people to fear us. And so we pursue money and we get positions in institutions and we, uh, we become strong and threatening. And here he's saying wisdom is actually better than might. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. <laughs> That's the thing is uh, there's greater power in wisdom. And yet there's also power in these. There's other forms of power our might, our strength, and all it takes is somebody to seize those lesser forms of power, but to utilize them in this world. And, and, and then we have corruption, injustice, oppression, the kinds of things that, uh, that trouble the writer of Ecclesiastes. And, and yet his lesson here for us stands uh, with the wisdom tradition to, to seek wisdom because it's great. And, and, and that's really important for us to grasp um, because we don't always approve of wisdom. We admire other forms of power because wisdom, uh, it takes a while to become wise. It takes hard work. It takes discernment. And, and you can't be superficial to attain wisdom. And because we are superficial, we wind up approving of the wrong things and then acting in ways that, uh, that do damage. And that, that story of the power of wisdom uh, is compelling. Many, many of us, uh, while intelligence and wisdom are not the same, uh, have had that experience that, that some people wind up good at school because the, the things that other kids are good at, they're not good at. And so, so at the early ages of 10 to 15 or whatever it is, the, the person who's physically strong can be intimidating, can be a bully. And the person who's weak uh, feels disadvantaged at school. And so what do you do? You, you avoid those people and you go home and study. <laughs> or the people that are, are athletically great. Well, you want to be part of that. Um, but if you're not athletically great, what do you do? Well, you, you go home 
and you study and the people that you become a later teenager and they show up at the parties and they know how to navigate that scene and but you don't know how to navigate that so instead of going to the party you stay home and study and then you pass the age of 30 and the great athlete rarely makes it professionally with athletics and the person who's a bully you know it's a good skill to be able to know how to fight but but how many of us day to day need to draw on that skill and, and the various things that, that are important to us when we're younger, you get older and the people that had none of those advantages, but went and studied, you realize they wind up being leaders. Now that doesn't mean that intelligence is, is the, uh, the only thing or the main thing, but you see that unfolding that, that sometimes there's a greater power that's not, not discerned. Uh, one, one way um, we see this in, in society in the, in, the, in the mid eighties, there was this movie, The Revenge of the Nerds. I haven't seen it since then. My recollection, it's a terrible movie, <laughs> quite a superficial movie. Um, but in the, the thread of the movie, I think where the movie, uh, the way it unfolds is quite superficial. I think there's something compelling and attractive about this idea. So it's a college movie where you have these good looking athletic popular types who show up in all the uh, social scenarios and they seem to to be the ones with the leadership and the influence in the campus environment. And then there are the alienated nerds. And, and the movie is about how they use their intelligence to actually wind up figuring out how to rig all of these things. And at the end, they wind up the ones that are popular and accepted uh, and cool. And while the way that, that that particular movie portrays that is not necessarily a model for us, I think some people have been drawn to that movie because we realize what it's like to be alienated, to be on the outside, to not have whatever everybody approves of. And, and the hope is, though, that we'll give ourselves to something of value that one day will be vindicated. And there's something actually quite encouraging about a story, which is to say that, that maybe it's possible in this life in real time <laughs> That, that something of greater value is recognized and approved. We have that longing. The book of Ecclesiastes is a little cynical in this world to say, you know, uh, human beings tend to get this wrong. We tend to approve of what's not truly of value. We, we take what has some value and we exaggerate it and we miss what really has value, what, what takes hard work and time. We don't invest in it. And so this idea, what do we approve of? Uh, verse 16, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now despised. I don't know that anybody in the, the, the city uh, where this story was taking place hated the wise man, but despised in terms of thought little of, rejected. The wise man did this thing that brought them salvation. And then once they were no longer in fear, uh, what he did was, was not admired. <laughs> he wasn't remembered. He wasn't uh, made a hero. And so verse 17 says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I wonder how many of us would think that modern politics, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere, is largely characterized by the shouting of a ruler among fools. <laughs> uh, what, what leads to success politically well, if you can assemble a gullible crowd and speak with authority, well, then you might be able to, to have political success. And we would say, but boy, what, what we don't need is, is the strong. We need the wise. 
delete us, but we don't have that discernment. We don't, we don't value, we don't approve of that. And therefore, inevitably, in the ups and downs of, of history, we tend to give, we get behind the person who's good looking, who's rich, who's powerful, uh, any of these number of things, and we're unwise. <laughs> what we approve of um, winds up exposing the fact that that we are foolish and we wind up wasting our lives. So, so before we get into um, whether or not God approves of us, how we think theologically, uh, let's just recognize there's this interplay uh, about what we approve of. It, it shapes how we evaluate um, whether or not people approve of us or for the right things. And so two things to look at is one is to watch for your own corrupt desires. They lead us astray. We, we understand things wrong. And therefore, not only will we misunderstand what we should be pursuing in life, but because we pursue the wrong things, we misunderstand whether or not we're living well. Um, so so watch, our own, watch our own desires, because what we approve of is, is tied to what we want, but also be careful not getting caught up in, in going after what other people approve of. If they want it and you want the approval of people, then run after what they want. And again, we wind up running after the wrong things. So what do we approve of? Uh, that's actually an important thing to consider if we want to gain wisdom, because we often get this wrong. Now, I'm going to move from here into a second area that I want to discuss, which is not what we approve of, but whether or not we are approved. Because they go together. We have the desire to be approved. And, and part of it is because if we're approved, we can attain the things that we approve of. But in the interplay, what we approve of is also part of the evaluating perspective of how do we know whether or not people approve of us. And that can be a bit of a trap. So, so we want to be careful of that. So, so whether or not we are approved, let me, let me say some, some things about that. We're vulnerable. Human beings are vulnerable because we want approval, um, but we're caught up in approving of the wrong things. And therefore, we misinterpret sometimes the circumstances of our lives. And we certainly do that theologically, that our minds are not being shaped by God and what God approves of. And therefore, when things don't go well, in terms of the things that we approve of, sometimes we misunderstand it to be uh, a sign that God doesn't approve of us. That's part of the, that could be part of the, the misreading. So verse one, so you could, you could see that chapter nine that we're looking at today continues in the thought that's been developing for the last eight chapters. He says, all of this, so all that he's been talking about, all of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Now, again, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good theological statement. He understands that the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. But this is where he goes. He goes, but whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Uh, love and hate, certainly, you know, we experience them as emotions. And there's a, certainly an emotional co uh, component of our love and hate. But in the Bible, love and hate are, are not just emotional. They're not not emotional, but they're not just emotional. And, and love and hate are often uh, the categories of, of acceptance and rejection or approval and disapproval. And so what he seems to be saying here is as he's, as he's advocating for us to be wise and he's advocating in his own way for us to have faith in God. But he's saying, I've examined how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. 
but whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. He's talking about circumstances. And, and one of the most troubling things for Koheleth, the person we're learning from, is death. Because you can live a wise and upright life, but there's no getting around death. That's troubling to him. It should be troubling to us. But it's not just death. It's the echoes of death. That, 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 that things, uh, disease and famine and misfortune, those things happen to us. And so he's saying, I, I, I'm, I'm storing up these things in my heart, how the righteous and the wise, their deeds are in the hands of God. But whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Um, he seems to be saying whether or not God approves of us or disapproves of us is not always clear based on our circumstances. That's the problem. Because he's trying to push us to deeper wisdom. And one of the, uh, the entry ramps of wisdom that we need to get, uh, here's two things. One is cause and effect. <laughs> Actions have consequences. And the other is agency. We, we need to make choices and live responsibly. That's part of any wisdom tradition, certainly the biblical wisdom tradition. You can't, the fool is passive and says, you know what, I have little control. I don't understand everything. Therefore, I'm going to do nothing. The wisdom tradition challenges that and says, no, you have to be responsible for your own life. And you're meant to learn. And learning means there is cause and effect and certain actions have consequences and the wrong actions have the wrong consequences. So you get that feedback loop. And so you change your actions and good actions have good consequences. And therefore you do more of that. And, and that's how you grow. That's how you become wise. The book of Ecclesiastes is part of the canon of biblical wisdom literature because it pushes us to a deeper level to say you will get very far in living well if you realize that. But you're also at some point inevitably going to become very troubled unless you mature, unless you, you understand that wisdom is, is typically more than we realize it is. We think wisdom is once I can know everything, once I can learn and understand everything, then I have agency, then I can make good choices. We, we think our willpower is that we'll want to do it once we know it and our corrupt hearts don't always, or we think if I know all things, at least I could navigate any situation, and therefore I have control. And the book of Ecclesiastes highlights, if you want to become wise, you need to understand you'll never know all things, and we don't have control of all things. And only the fool then says, therefore, don't bother. The wise stays engaged, but staying engaged can be overwhelmingly troubling. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes isn't a happy book, but it's an important book to keep going, to keep watching, to keep learning. But one of the things we need to navigate is this system that we can construct where we think uh, good actions have good consequences. I want to approve of what's good and learn what's wrong. And I want to be approved of. And when things don't go well, sometimes we eternalize it, not simply as I need to change things, but, but maybe I did the wrong thing. And maybe what I'm experiencing is a sign that I've not been approved of. And so, so the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it brings wisdom into our lives by reminding us that for all that we learn, that we should learn, for all that we do, that we should do, we still face circumstances that we can't understand and can't control. And to navigate them, that has to be part of our understanding. And so in verses 11 and 12, he says, I saw under the sun. So under the sun, you know, that's this phrase that keeps coming up. There's things that he can't see that we can't see. So he's observing life in this world. He's saying, I saw that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, 
nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men, men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. He's talking about a scenario here where something happens that all of a sudden is jarring, immediate, terrible, unpredictable, not understood. And it's described as time and chance. So we live in real time, which means we don't know the future. We don't know the outcome of things. And, and that's what, what, what he was saying in verse one, is things happen that we, we can't yet evaluate. We're in the middle of them. So something terrible happens and we want to evaluate what did I did ro- do wrong? What, do I, what did I do to deserve this? And because we live in time, we don't yet know where this is going. And so we have to sometimes suspend that evaluation, not that the instinct is wrong, but that the conclusion is sometimes made too soon. And so what he describes as chance, of course, in the Bible, uh, chance sounds like randomness, things happen um, and, you know, and there's no rhyme and scheme to things. Well, I don't think that's what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, but even if he's saying that, his book is in the context of the Bible that says, well, actually, there is no chance. There's no randomness. God is overall. But our experience under the sun is that we don't know what God is up to fully. And so in time, it feels random. That, that's what he's grappling with. Things feel random that, that you're, you're the swift ones who you assume you're going to win the race or you're the strong ones who you think you're going to win the battle. And then something happens that blows your paradigm. And where this fits into... Um, the idea of of approval is our paradigm, if we're making progress in wisdom, is if you do the right things, it'll work out. And if if God is just and you do what God approves of, the assumption is uh, you will be rewarded. And, And the Bible says that God blesses those who live upright lives, but God in his justice is against those who would do harm. That's true. But the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, uh, Kohelet says, I look around the world, though, and, and I don't see this happening consistently. In fact, it happens inconsistently enough that it's, it's overwhelming me. And so, so we have this, uh, this saying, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Sort of a modern proverb. Some, you, maybe you haven't heard it, but I've heard that in a couple of contexts. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. There's wisdom in that. You know, sometimes we're stubborn and we keep doing the same thing over and over and we expect that it's going to change. But but wisdom is you do something and if it doesn't work, you reevaluate. <laughs> you, you take one or a few variables at a time and, and you change things. And that's how the wise work. But Koheleth is telling us, but but sometimes you face a situation where where it's not about tweaking a variable. But, but, but there's no feedback loop for understanding things. And therefore, in our innate desire for approval and our understanding that God rewards those of whom he approves or those who do what he approves, what happens sometimes is, is something will happen like, like, a, like a, an animal being caught in a trap, utterly confusing, stirs panic. It's destabilizing us, to us. And without wisdom... Uh, the only conclusion we could sometimes draw is because of cause and effect, if this terrible thing happened to me, it must be because God doesn't approve of me. And while it is wise to think maybe there's something 
uh, that that I did that led to this happening. Or maybe there's nothing I did that led to this happening, but there's something I can do to navigate this wisely. That's part of wisdom. What's not part of wisdom that we need to learn is to sometimes say that, that everything that happens to me is a feedback, is evaluation on whether or not I'm a good person. And of course, uh, Koheleth in his description here joins with the Bible in other places and says, well, don't be overconfident in yourself as a good person. <laughs> uh, it could quite be quite troubling to live thinking that if I make the right choices, I'll be rewarded because we are not wise. And therefore, if we're going to get what we deserve, we should be a little bit nervous. Our hope is actually that, that God will give us what we don't deserve. And, and so um, in this, this uh, the way that we evaluate things sometimes, um, something terrible happens. And if we're looking to be wise and, and to realize that, that, uh, that, that God is wise and wants us to make good choices, um, sometimes difficulties become the occasions for us to evaluate how we're living, what choices we make. And that's wise. What I'm saying, though, is that the only evaluation is how do I interpret what happened and whether or not uh, that says whether or not I'm approved of. Well, that's a bit narrow and that's unwise. So, for example, sometimes God does not approve of somebody or what they do. And something terrible happens, and that could be a wake-up call. <laughs> somebody realizes that through my bad choices, through my my uh, foolishness through my corrupt desires, I've made a mess of things. And, and so then the mess becomes the occasion to wake up and to wisen up. That happens. What's interesting, though, sometimes you have somebody that God does approve of, but God doesn't approve of some of their actions, and the person receives consequences for their actions. That happens. I'm a Christian. I believe the right things. I'm mostly trying to live an upright life, but I have some areas that I just do what I shouldn't do. And then I get caught. And so maybe God approves of me in terms of forgiveness, but God does not approve of what I'm doing and I'm bearing the consequences. That's also wisdom to catch yourself and realize I've done the wrong thing and now I'm reaping what I've sown. The problem is sometimes God approves of you and what you're doing and then terrible things happen. And that's the confusing area. If our only paradigm is that there's a, such a clear cor correlation between uh, actions and consequences, then, we, then we're utterly confused. And every difficult situation, like everything else, is an opportunity for us to stop and reflect, to examine our hearts, to examine our behaviors. That's the ordinary course of the Christian life. Every day, a word, try me, test me, <laughs> see if there's any unrighteous way in me. We should be submitting to that. We should want to live upright, good, wise lives. But there are some circumstances that happen where, where while we inevitably find ourselves thinking, did I do something to deserve this? Uh, that, if that's the only question we have, can be a de devastating question. <laughs> because the question of wisdom, often in those situations, is given that this happened, what do I do about it? Not, is this evidence or proof that God is against me? And sometimes the terrible things that happen cause us to, to realize I've been against God and God sent this circumstance to warn me and to turn me around. But Ecclesiastes reminds us we live in a complex world where sometimes corruption around us happens and, and, and we experience it as time and chance. We don't know whether, whether God approves of us or not, whether it's love or hate. And, and that we need to have in our, in our toolbox so that we're not overwhelmed. And that, that's the problem 
of being completely driven by the desire to be approved of. Because then we, we read all of us, our circumstances through that interpretation. If I was successful, it must be because God or somebody approves of me. If I failed, it must be because I am not approved of. And what wisdom says is don't be so egocentric. <laughs> don't be so desperate for approval because then inevitably at some point you will misread circumstances. And so to be wise, yes, there is cause and effect. Yes, there is learning and reflection. Yes, hard circumstances sometimes confront us with the fact that we need to change. But sometimes hard circumstances have an explanation that we don't know. We can't understand. And existing in that is very hard because that's our, our understanding of wisdom is if I know and understand everything, then I could control it. As soon as we're in a situation where we don't know and understand and can't control, we feel utterly vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, we start, if we want approval, to feel unworthy and unapproved. And then we draw foolish conclusions. I must have deserved this. Or conclusions about the unknown future. This, is, this must be what the future will be like. And that's not wise. So here, here's the last thing that I want to talk about, which is God's approval. So we're talking about what we approve of and what, what, what we desire, what other people approve of shapes how we interpret the world. But when we're so desperate that we want approval, then, then in the system that gets off kilter, we find ourselves um, misreading things. Uh, the Bible tries to ground us by saying, first and foremost, find out what God approves of. That's a starting place of wisdom. How do you learn to revere God? Learn to, when, when God becomes your teacher, the one who will guide you through this world, then you gain true wisdom to navigate a world that uh, will be confusing, where you won't know all things, where you can't control all things, but where you could be sustained and live wisely in the midst of that. So, so what is God approval? How can we know? Well, you know, the, the New Testament perspective, the Christian answer to how do we know what God is like? How do we know what God wants? How do we know the ways of God? Well, inevitably, we always do that by looking at Jesus. That, that's the, the Bible presents Jesus as the, the fullness, the fullest picture, the, the true teacher, the revelation. And so even the book of Ecclesiastes has to, has to bring us closer to these questions that, that maybe Ecclesiastes, himself, uh, the writer Koheleth himself can't answer for us, but he raises the hard questions that Jesus alone can answer. Um, what does God approve of? It's important for us to recognize that in the New Testament, it's very clear God the Father approves of Jesus, his son. And you can see that in a variety of ways, but, but at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, we have this voice from heaven. So at his baptism and in, in a scene called the transfiguration that happens in, in the last days before he's crucified. In both of those times, a voice echoes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. What, there could not be a more profound event or statement if we're trying to wonder, should, what, what should we think of Jesus? Should we follow him? The voice of God, the witnesses say, we heard the voice of the father say, this is my son whom I love. <laughs> so there's the approval of Jesus. So God has sent Jesus, the one he approves of, to be our teacher, to, to give us wisdom. And yet, what was our evaluation of Jesus based on how we read the world, what we approve of, what others approve of, and what, what we're willing to be part of? 
Well, Jesus was approved of to a certain degree. People came out wanting to hear that people recognized there was something about him that was different, something unique, something compelling. But at the end of the eight days, what was our evaluation from a, from a collective human experience? Not what was any one person thinking, but what did we do with Jesus? We rejected him. Jesus was handed over to be crucified. He was killed in a humiliating, shameful, painful death where it seems that there was a greater power than the power that he claimed was at work in him. And yet what the New Testament describes as the wisdom of God that shames the foolishness of the world or even what, what the world thinks is wise. We find that as we try to interpret this and you look at the scriptures and say, wait a second, if he was rejected by us and he was crucified, well, what do the scriptures say in terms of who gets God's blessing and who gets God's curses? Well, one of the scriptures that's cited in the New Testament, the book of Galatians, is, is from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy. Uh, Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. So we reject Jesus. But, but doesn't God align with our rejection of Jesus because he was hung on a tree? He was humiliated? Isn't this a sign that he was cursed? And that voice that says, this is my son whom I'm loved, who I love. Uh, in that moment, in time, what seems to be chance, <laughs> what happened that this righteous teacher, this miracle worker, uh, this, this uh, person of humility and compassion is rejected and humiliated? In time and space, does it not look like human rejection and God's rejection aligned? And this is why the resurrection is so important in Christianity, because one of the things that the resurrection teaches us is the son is still approved of by God. <laughs> the father approves of the son by raising him up and giving him the place of highest honor and authority. And what that does is it tells us we were wrong. We were wrong in rejecting Jesus. And we're wrong in thinking the father agrees with us in our rejection. And this is where the wisdom of the Bible will always challenge us. Because why would God's approved son face God's curse and rejection, unless our evaluation was right. And it's because our evaluation is so wrong that we approve of the wrong things that we rejected Jesus. And the gospel message is Jesus was not rejected because God disapproved of him. God rejected, accepted his rejection in order that those who should be rejected would be accepted. That's the gospel message. We are wrong in what we evaluate. And therefore, we are wrong in thinking we will be approved by God by our own deeds or by our, our own thoughts. What we're shown again and again is we get things wrong. And yet the gospel, the message of Jesus tells us by rejecting Jesus, Jesus showed us the wisdom of God that this one poor man was the one who brought salvation. And then the question is, will we remember him? This is quite interesting that the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer presents himself as if he's Solomon. From the very beginning, he says, I was king over Jerusalem. I had money. I had power. I had resources. And yet, in giving us wisdom, he doesn't even name himself. He alludes to being Solomon, but we don't know if it was Solomon. He seems to be saying, I was this, this man with all these resources, all of these things. And yet, I've learned that maybe I shouldn't be remembered. <laughs> but maybe the poor person who, uh, who has wisdom, who's, who will not be remembered ordinarily is the one who should be remembered. We're told that the gospel brings out that reality, 
that Jesus was not rejected because he had done wrong, but because he had done right. But we won't be accepted because we've done right. We will be, be accepted despite our having done wrong because the rejection of Jesus is the acceptance of God's people. That's the wisdom of God. And that paradigm shift is what we need because of this question, how will we be approved by God? Religion always says, once you do enough, once you understand enough, God will approve you. Christianity says we will never understand enough and we will never do good enough. But our hope is in the wisdom of God, that in his wisdom and his goodness, he will offer us grace. And it's that shift, that paradigm that's transformative. Because once we're no longer living with fear or with, with our ego trying to earn the approval of others, then we step into what's truly wise. We can make decisions based on, on what's, good, what's a proper evaluation of things. And so in verse 7, God has already approved what you do. Uh, so, so here's a different paradigm. He's not saying God approves everything that you do, because clearly we do some things that God would disapprove of. But he's talking about a wise life to say God has given us good things to do. And if you join with God and start doing those things, well, then, then you don't earn God's approval. You rejoice that you have God's approval and, and, and you find joy in doing those things that God would have you do. It's a whole different way of living. You know, rather than, than, than living uh, slavishly trying to earn something that we'll never earn, uh, we're told that God in his grace, uh, he will approve you based on what Jesus has done. And now he he will show you through Jesus what he approves of. And, and if you give yourself fully to that, then you will start to understand what true wise living looks like. One of the most famous uh, guitar players of the 20th century was a man named Christopher Parkening. And uh, his story is interesting, his, his musical and his career story, but also as it turns out, his faith story, he's still alive. Um, but if you go to his website, he actually shares his story on it. You can read it. I would, his name is Christopher Parkening. Uh, but here's a young prodigy that in an early age was very talented musically. He was approved of and recognized by, by, by the greats of his day. And he wound up having a very successful career. Um, but he writes that, that while he was having success in terms of a, a touring, uh, a, a very full touring schedule and renown and, and approval and money, his dream was, was to, to end that career uh, early. So he wanted to retire, which he wound up doing at age 30. So at 30 years of old, he lived in Southern California. He bought a place in Montana. And he said, I want to leave this this music career that, that I've now had success in, but it's draining, it's overwhelming. It's just not fun going hotel to hotel, showing up at these concerts. He no longer received any satisfaction from applause. And so he moved to Montana to fly fish where he eventually that, you know, that's actually quite a skilled thing. It's not just like he's passing time, but he's doing something else that requires skill and he's good at it, um, but he's not doing it for an audience. And yet he found four years into it, uh, he thought he had in his mid-30s achieved the ultimate dream that he, he had financial success, he had his ego taken care of, he's, he's doing things with his time, and yet he finds he's still empty. And so somebody invites him to church, and then he hears a message that really changed his life. And, and what it did for him is he realized that he had this very superficial Christian identity, but he didn't really understand the gospel. And he was shaken out of that. But that shaking caused him to reevaluate the whole of his life. And he realized his emptiness was because he was missing what was central in his life. 
And so uh, in his writing, he says, there's an old proverb, be careful what you wish for, you might get it. Well, that's the case with me. Soon after retirement, I became bored with my life and felt empty inside, but I didn't know, my, I didn't know why. My ideal life was turning out to be not so ideal after all. I needed something more, something to provide the fulfillment my success had not given me. And so he goes to church and then he, he has this, this conversion where he, this is what he says. He said, I believed all the right facts about Christ. And, you know, I even wanted a savior to save me from hell. But what I did not want was a Lord of my life that I should follow and trust and be obedient to. He, he realized that, that there were certain christian things that he wanted, but he didn't understand the greatness of Christ and, and what it would look like to, to put him above him and, and to devote his life to that. And once he did that, he realized that, that there was a transformation. It's not that he became a better guitar player or had more success, but he realized in the midst of all of those things, they went from being empty and meaningless to suddenly having meaning. To where finally at the end of the story, he writes this. He says, on my music stand at home, I have taped a note that reads, Chris, what are you here for? So every time he sits down to practice, he's going to see that before he does anything. Just as my touring guitar bears the scars of having been used to create music, so I pray that my imperfect life will be an instrument of God's hands for his purposes and to his glory. So what he's saying is that, that I lived wisely. I was skillful and I was approved of and I had what other people approve of. But it was only once I realized that God approved of me, not based on what I did, but by his grace alone, that all of a sudden energy came into to the midst of that. Now, when we don't have wisdom, what we think is, well, wisdom brings success. So, so the Christopher Parkening story is, oh, if I become a Christian, I will then have the applause. I will have the success. What he's saying is, I had that, but not by faith. So you don't have to be a Christian to be talented. You don't have to be a Christian to be rich. But he's saying you could have those things and be empty. I had those things, but it was only once I understood the greatness of God and his mercy and generosity that all those things that I had began to actually have meaning and purpose. That's what's lacking for Koheleth. He says, I look at this world and no matter how wise you get, you can't control, you can't understand, and it's overwhelming. Um, but what he then commends to us is he sees people that have joy and that's where he keeps coming back in nearly every chapter. But, but while it's not that this is the greatest thing, but, but I'm seeing people that have joy. And so even in our passage today, um, verses, uh, verses 9 and 10, um, or actually that whole section from, um, from 7 through 10. These pictures that, that from the book of Genesis, where, where our bread and our wine and um, enjoying life with your spouse and whatever your hand finds to do, I mean, that's Genesis 2, God's vision for humanity of be fruitful, multiply. It's not good that you be alone. So find somebody to, to share life with um, and work and, and steward what I have. That, that's God's original vision, that you would have things to do and people to do them with and you would have enjoyment. That has not changed. God's world is still good. You see the book of Revelation, um, you know, may, maybe the, you know, the, the garments of Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve in their shame are covered with animal skins. Well, in, by the book of Revelation, they have these white, clean garments and there's oil on their heads. And so, so the, 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 the verse, verses 7 to 10 vision in this world are, are what God's purposes from the beginning were and what they will be in the end. God wants us to live wise and good lives, to trust him, to know his goodness 
and to do it eagerly. Uh, and yet we lack wisdom. <laughs> and where we get it is through the gift of Christ, where, where we are approved of because of what he's done for us. And when he becomes the Lord, when he becomes our teacher, when he shows us, this is what I approve of, then we don't timidly think, well, will I do it well enough that he'll approve of me? But we realize he has given us good things to do. And so let's take our short lives where we know we're going to die at some point and we don't know when and we can't control it, but let's take the good things God has given us and let's live them to the, to the fullest. And so verse seven commends a merry heart. You can't control that. You will have difficult periods, but we can grow by not constantly thinking everything that goes wrong in my life means I'm not approved of. We step back and say, Lord, uh, maybe I did wrong. <laughs> maybe I am rejected. But through Jesus Christ, I will join with the one who is rejected, but who has your approval in order that he would lead me through. And so verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever? Well, no, if God doesn't approve of it, don't do it. <laughs> but come and join with Jesus. Through him, you will receive approval. And through learning what he approves of, you can then live with agency, with energy, with might. Will everything go perfectly? No. Will you make mistakes? Yes. Will you do everything right and sometimes fail? Absolutely. But when you're not worried about whether or not this says, are you approved of, and do you have a future, but when you realize my hope is in Christ alone, not in myself and what I've done, then we have a new possibility that when Jesus shows us what the next thing to do is, we can do it wholeheartedly with excitement and gladness knowing we're not trying to earn God's favor or approval, but knowing if we have what God has approved, we have what's good. And that's, that's the wisdom that Jesus offers. So, so we trust him for salvation, and we trust him to live out of that salvation. Do you trust him? If you're wise, you should. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, we need this kind of wisdom. We all have so much to learn. Um, some of us are brand new to considering religion, to reflecting on our lives. And I pray for those that your spirit would open eyes and ears to see the truth. Some of us are studying the Bible. We're trying to reflect on our lives and things are not working and things are not going well and we're confused and we're discouraged. Lord, we need wisdom. So grant to us all that grace to know of your ways, to know of your great mercy, that you grant us salvation through Christ, that you are generous, and that we never earn your favor. But help us also to, to be wise in receiving that approval, that with it we would learn what you approve of, and with great vigor and excitement and obedience and diligence, uh, we would take hold of those things and live them in fullness and endure uh, through these hard periods where, where maybe they're not bearing fruit in our lives. Lord, make us wise, um, make us righteous, make us holy, make us faithful. Do all of these things because it will bring you glory. And may we align our lives with you such that our bringing glory to you is our source of joy, that we would approve when you are glorified um, and that our concern would be uh, our approval of you and joy in it and our fear of not being approved would not overwhelm us. Um, do that work of grace in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.